0: Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and every week we discuss trending topics in the wine world with you. Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts Mark and Kim, and every week we bring you news from the wine world and trending topics that we think will be of interest to you. And we love to see what is chatted about all over the internet and we love to google different topics in wine. So recently Mark, what do you what do you think has been uh, some interesting things that you've happened up- upon in your searches?
1: You know me with my apps and web things, so I I found an app called the Podcast Alarm app, where you can put it on your phone and you can wake up to your favorite podcast. Ah. So I figured, (laughs) you know, people want to wake up to us, they download the Podcast Alarm uh, app and uh, put the wonderful world of wine on to wake you up every day. There you
0: go, if you want us to be your morning alarm.
1: Something new. Something definitely new. What about you, Ken? What did you... So
0: I was Googling some wine tasting terms. So I've been trying to put together uh, just some new ideas for ways uh, to describe certain wines and the textures that you might experience in certain wines. And specifically dealing with uh, how we describe the acidity in wine and how we describe tannins in wine. Because sometimes those terms are a little uh, intimidating or a little too technical for people. And we want something that's a little bit more appealing to people's ears and perceptions of wine. So I went to a whole bunch of different wine websites and looked at different ways that people describe those terms in wine. And it was actually a lot of fun. Now, we
1: always say that when we see acidity, it scares people. So I'm sure... Some of the descriptors you saw for that were even worse, there are, there are
0: some that, yeah, that can be a little less positive than I would like. So, you know, terms like aggressive or... Actually, there were a lot more for uh, for words for tannins that I think were a little bit more off-putting for people.
1: So give me one that you might have learned for acid that is a good so, description. So
0: uh, interestingly, one that very rarely occurs to me but that I've been using a lot more lately is citrusy. Even though citrus flavors usually go hand-in-hand with higher acid wines. And we, we use words like tart and zippy and zesty and things like that. But it had never really occurred to me to use citrusy as a an acid term because I consider citrus to be a flavor and not so much a texture. But that one was really sort of made me go, ah, huh, that's that's actually a really great term to describe something like New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, to describe it as having citrusy acidity.
1: Yeah, so more of a bright thing than yeah, a fruit thing. Like, yeah, that's uh, a good, like good a good lemonade-y point. kind of a, of a feel. So that's a good one. Yeah. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. And first topic today, I want to take some time to let everybody know that Kim had just come back from France for work. Tough job.
0: So Someone has to do it. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it.
1: So I was thinking, asking you some of the questions I had about your trip, and so the listeners can learn. First off, Kim, which regions did you go to in France?
0: So we did more of a northern trip. So we did Champagne and Burgundy. So we kept it, they're relatively close to each other, not too different in climate. and And we spent about uh, five days just doing those two regions.
1: So where do you fly in when you go north in France?
0: We fly to Paris. Paris. So we flew to Paris. And Champagne is only about a 45-minute train ride outside of Paris. It's actually quite close. So we we got in and we got on a train. And 45 minutes later, we were in the city of Reims, which is one of the main uh, cities in the Champagne region. Good experience with the train? Yeah, it was fine. I, I like trains, especially European travel trains. Fast, um, right? Pretty fast. Uh, it was you know, a couple of connections that we had to do because some place, a place like Champagne, you know, for us wine people, we're like, oh, Champagne. But a lot of these regions are really out in the country. You know, obviously, this is a, an agricultural product that we're always talking about here. So they need, you know, land to grow the grapes and facilities for making the wine. So in in the regions that we think of as our our main French wine regions, they're not big city centers. Generally, they're usually more um, in more more agricultural areas. So it's very interesting to see all the the land around Champagne as we were getting there because it's all hillsides and it's all farming areas. And then the, the cities themselves were good sized, but very, very manageable. Not not as big as someplace like Paris.
1: So I always tell and when, when we're doing Champagne stories, I always tell our listeners, Kim is the bubbly queen. She <laughs> loves sparkling wine. So I have to ask him, when you were in Champagne, did you learn anything that you did not know about Champagne? Champagne.
0: I don't think I necessarily l- like learned facts that I didn't really know about champagne, but just the experience of being there and being able to walk through the vineyards and being able to go into the caves underneath the um, the wineries themselves was, was really kind of sort of magical. And we always sort of talk about like, oh, visiting wine country has this sort of magic to it. But it really was true because these are places that I've always read about and wines that I've been tasting for years and that I know has lots of history, you know, going back hundreds and hundreds of years, but to physically be there and to touch the walls and to know how deep we were underground and to feel the cold and like all that was really made it so real. It was it was really quite an incredible experience.
1: I like how you explain that because when we came up with the idea for this show, it was to, to kind of bring people to the world of wine, to experience these types of things mm-hmm. just by us talking about things that are happening in the wine world. So, I mean, I can relate to that. I hope the listeners can kind of understand and relate to that, how it was so special for you to be there in this region that, that you love. So, do you remember now before you had left, I had asked you if you could grab me some dirt? Did you happen to grab any champagne because the soils are special? I did, don't have any nothing, champagne no dirt rocks, for you. No, nothing. I do have a rock for you from Burgundy. Oh, there yeah. we
0: go.
1: <laughs> All right. So, you listen to me. I did. I, I'm glad I did. about that. So, here's a, a weird question. You know me. You're in Champagne, you're in Burgundy. Do you see locals drinking wine? And what are they drinking? When, in my head, I I'm thinking all the Europeans are always walking around drinking wine, drinking champagne. Were they actually, do you see a lot of people, that the the regular citizens drinking wine?
0: Honestly, we only went out to one restaurant in Champagne for one restaurant meal. And that was a lunch. Um, It was a little bit later than regular lunchtime was in France. So we kind of felt like we were maybe the only people in the restaurant. But all of the other meals that we had were special meals that were done just for us. So we didn't really get a lot of opportunity to see other people dining in Champagne, but we definitely did in Bone in Burgundy. And yes, people were, were drinking wine and they were drinking local. Just like carafes of wine? Yeah, did or you, bottles you see the bottle or glasses, stuff? yeah. And especially when you look at a wine list and the only thing pretty much on the wine list is wines from that region. Well, then there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you're drinking.
1: Well, it's, I hear a lot from, you know, being in the industry, people who are in the industry and go on these trips. It's all business. You're going to wine, or you're going to taste in, so you don't really have much free time for yourself to kind of do things so that's kind of my hint to people I'll, I'll take a trip if anyone wants to send me but so yeah we
0: didn't have a lot of downtime it was very much like okay this is the tour of this vineyard and this is the tour of this winery and you're having lunch with this person and sometimes we had evenings to ourselves but it was mostly we, we had a schedule and we were trying to do as many things as we could and go to as many places as, as possible because there were quite a few wineries that we had to hit so you probably didn't have time to go
1: to any wine shops or check out no st- I didn't do like any
0: that. I really didn't do any of that
1: what about in the vineyards that you went to did they have did they have uh wine shops in the vineyards you went to you so you could notice how they're selling wine to tourists
0: we did do a little bit of shopping at louis Jadot. so Mais, maison louis Jadot was the the big place that we went to in burgundy and they did have I mean it's kind of like a gift shop but it's a gift shop for wine, for wine. so Is it they? was just like a wine store um and they that was great because they had so many different wines most of them were current vintage but because so because they make so many different wines. So
1: what's the process? They know you're American, right? They know you're going home. Do they ask you, do you want to purchase the ship? Or do they just assume you're going to take it and do it yourself? I don't do remember. They say, no, they don't no say I don't think they provided
0: it? anything about shipping. No, you kind of have to figure that was out yourself.
1: I any tips to give uh, listeners if they go to France, how can they... I mean, you brought wine home, right? I brought
0: a bottle of wine home. Just one. Yeah, and it then does have to be... That I was given. Yeah. And it does have to be in your checked luggage. Uh, you can't bring liquid Back. How did you pack? Uh, wrapped in sweaters. Oh wow! No baggie <laughs> in careful. case it broke. Um, I did put it in a plastic bag. Was it yeah, sparkling wine? Yeah, it was champagne. champagne.
1: Wow! Was champagne. So no problems with pressure no. or anything.
0: No, everything. And, and I checked with my uh, with my colleagues, and all of our wine made home made it home safe.
1: Everybody's so. made it home. Wow! I'm surprised yeah. with the pressure and stuff that. I you're I was in at a Brown. little bit
0: worried about that in the uh, yeah in the the hold of the airplane if my champagne would survive. But so was <laughs> it a
1: special bottle you're saving, or given with friends that you do radio uh, shows with, or yeah. I <laughs> you. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, open, we got our hundredth episode a special coming. occasion. So. all right. Well, well, if our listeners, if we open it here, we'll we'll tell everybody. <laughs> so, Champagne. Then you went to Burgundy, right? Land of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Land of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Tried everything, or
0: we tried a lot of different wines.
1: Thing unique that other than Chard or Pinot, no, because they that's nope, it. Right. That's
0: all that, that is all that they make. We did spend half a day in Beaujolais, so there was some Gamay thrown in there as well. But it was just those three. We got to taste a number of different vintages from Jadot, which was really excellent. And really one of the most, I would say, satisfying parts of the trip was being able to taste these wines with the local food. And everybody knows that I'm a big foodie, uh, but it really, you know, we, we talk about pairings and what goes with what. And it's sometimes it's based on rules and other times it's based on what you like. But there were a couple of times that we had wines with food and it was just like a wow moment.
1: What was the local Burgundy? Indian food that shocked you or was a uh, We had some
0: really awesome pâtés, which a lot of Americans don't like to eat a lot of pâté because it's a little, no. you know, weird and it comes from strange parts of animals. Yeah. Put me down um, for a no on that. Yeah, it's a no for you. <laughs> but there was one pâté that we had with a glass of puy fuise that was just... Like, I had to just stop and be like, this is the best combination I have had all week.
1: So explain t- to our listeners, Kim, when when we say a perfect food match, you, you sip the wine, you, you take Eat a bite of the food, sip and then the wine, what happens?
0: And then, like, so you have the wine first on its own, and it's good. And then you have a bite of the food, and then you have the sip of the wine again. And that wine has just been transformed by either a textural element in the food, which I think in this case, it was both the flavors and the textures because it's, it's a little creamy and a little funky and a little meaty. And then you drink the wine and the wine just opens up with fruit and just long flavors and refreshingness. And oh my gosh, it was just just amazing.
1: So you always try to explain that when we do food and wine pairing classes and what is the perfect pairing. And the way you described it, I hope People it's yeah,
0: when the wine makes the food better it. and when the food makes the wine better. And, and I noticed- individually they're both good, but then when you have them together it's so much more
1: did you take i noticed you you took pictures of like famous landmarks
0: yeah burgundy. did you take
1: pictures of all your meals i like did take a lot of food
0: pictures yes um there was this one thing that we had that was avocados and lobster when we were in champagne that was oh my gosh
1: so good oh, that's interesting
0: avocados yeah huh? avocados what are they Where do you think they get the i don't avocados? know but we had a lot of avocado <laughs> huh. i don't i don't know wow. they probably get them from mexico just like the rest of us do
1: were they saying well just get back to well in burgundy and champagne were they saying <laughs> anything about the nervous about the tariffs No, we didn't really talk
0: about them a little bit. I think people maybe wanted to stay away from the political implications of talking about tariffs. So we sort of danced around that issue, I would say. I think probably on both sides like n- none of us are really comfortable talking about it so All right. So
1: back to Burgundy now. Back to Burgundy. You and you you also said you went to Beaujolais, mm-hmm. land of windmills. I saw you had yeah, some I had, windmills. Yeah, I I took a
0: picture of the windmill at Moulin Avant, so there. That's the we were one there.
1: famous windmill. That's now right. is it a thing you could go into? Was it working or is it just the no, decoration? No, it's just there. So it's like um, a fake I think lighthouse. you can go
0: in the building but it's not a, a working
1: and what was the reason they had windmills there? Was it was it to generate anything? I don't know. I, I, I always wondered that. That's
0: like the only one. So I think it's kind of a leftover. So that's just their
1: trademark. Yeah. Well, wow. people were nice to you.
0: Very. Yeah. No, we had we really had a great time, and it was you know it was nice to to meet different people, to meet different winemakers who are really doing their craft day in and day out, and have a real passion for what they do, and really paying attention to their fruit and to their their winemaking practices we talked about climate a lot like that was what really was brought up at every single meeting that we had with people they were talking about the weather they were talking about climate change you know we were talking a lot about the things that they have had to do to compensate for warmer weather there's a lot more earlier harvest that people were talking about you know if they used to harvest at the end of September now they're harvesting at the beginning of September there's very few if any grapes still on the vines in October anymore so that was a big topic of conversation that that was brought up time and time again
1: I think that point, you talked about how you met the people. Uh, now you come back to the restaurant and you, you have pride of recommending those wines to, mm-hmm. to people who are, who are in your restaurant. So when we were talking about you meeting these small people in Champagne and Burgundy, they're actually Owned by big companies, but
0: some of them you are. get
1: to see the actual people who are working for, for these companies, right. which is great.
0: So someplace like Tattinger. So Tattinger was the uh the champagne house that we went to. They're family-owned. They're I think it's the third or fourth generation now that is that is taking the helm, a you know, brother and sister team. And they once upon a time, the family owned lots and lots of other sort of luxury good things. So they had, you know, the champagne house, but then they also had hotels and they also had boutiques and they had all this luxury stuff and about I think it was about maybe 10 or 15 years ago they sold off Pretty much the bulk of everything that they had, except the champagne house. They were they sold everything, and they like, but we want to keep the champagne house. So they went kind of back to their roots, and now they're just focusing on the champagne house. So they're a very well known name and a well known brand, but they're still family owned. It's not like they're owned by one of these big conglomerates, and you know the the family are doing the business, and you know they still have all these acres of vines and champagne, and they still have these grower relationships with with a lot of these other grape growers. So it's really nice to to see that and to meet those people and now to kind of have those personal relationships. So very cool.
1: Did you find that the champagne producers or growers, they pretty much stay in the champagne region, but compared to like Jadot, he has properties all over Burgundy correct right. so do you find the Champagne people just stay pretty much in like the in Champagne one particular region?
0: village I mean they stay in their, in that region but they might have vineyards in a bunch of different areas within Champagne and I think but that that's very Champagne very common but still Champagne yes yeah. still Champagne but Jadeau is that way too it's like yes they have vineyards all over Burgundy but they're still just Burgundy yeah. like they're, they don't have a house in Bordeaux or they don't have some place in the Roussillon that's true. You know he's, it's just he's in Burgundy.
1: Beaujolais and he's in Burgundy yeah yes. yep. well, so so, any travel tips for people if they're thinking of checking out Champagne and um, Burgundy?
0: Pay attention to what time of the year you go, and pack layers <laughs> because it does get sort of chilly down in the caves when we were at. Tattinger. It was really, really deep underground. So it does get a little chilly. We got lucky with the weather. I thought we were going to have a lot more rain. We had kind of cloudy days, but it didn't necessarily rain. So it was a lot more comfortable than I expected it to be. But yeah, you know, be flexible. Trains sometimes are late and then you miss your connecting train back to Paris. But those things do happen. So just be flexible, pack light. So
1: fall... (laughs) After harvest, good time to go. After harvest,
0: yeah, and it's still very pretty. Like the leaves are all changing colors, so there is this real fall feel to it. Think of fall in New England and the leaves changing, and you know what? Fall in Burgundy looks exactly the same because all the grapevine leaves have turned sort of orange and red and brown, and so you you kind of get this this real autumnal sort of look to it. So that's But it's it's they, great after after the harvest. They is already done.
1: harvested, so when do they prune? They the leaves. They're are doing still it there. now. So okay. so, so, the, the, so a lot of the leaves are started. still
0: on there what they're doing right now is ripping up older vineyards so there, sometimes you get to the point where a vineyard maybe is a little too old to really be producing the amount of fruit that you want it to produce so they will tear up that vineyard they'll pull out the roots pull out the vines and then leave the field uh, not doing anything for two or three years so there was a fair bit of that and then they will burn the roots uh, in the vineyards and then you know scatter all the other stuff uh, around so nothing Kind of goes to waste, and it's all done right there. That's great.
1: Sound like a great trip. I yeah, think it was really for our cool. Listeners who've never been to a, a winery or a vineyard to actually see what's going in your bottle and meet the people—it's it's very. You special. see them
0: all in the barrels, and there's a very particular smell to a wine room, uh, and you really feel like you have this more personal connection to that wine in your bottle.
1: And I'm assuming you, you didn't ask me to go because I don't have a passport. Maybe that's why <laughs> you didn't ask me, right? You don't have
0: a passport. No, you need I to would get if you asked a me, but I probably—you know—next time. Now next time. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We are your hosts, Kim and Mark. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine and more information about Mark at franklinliquors.com. You can find more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. So we found an interesting article about a style of wine that is gaining in popularity and that gets me very excited because I have been following uh, this style of wine for a number of years. And that is not just Pinot Noir, but Pinot Noir from Germany, of all.
1: I'm excited. I'm excited you said that because that's the first thing I put about this topic. That you're excited I about I love it? German Pinot Noir. I really
0: love German love Pinot Noir. And you know, it's... When I say I've been following this for years, it's really, really true. Because back in probably, I don't know, 2003, 2004, we were lucky enough in the wine shop that I worked in to have these really sort of special bottles of Pinot Noir from Germany that were from these regions that were really small and were supposed to be producing like this super phenomenal uh, Pinot Noir. And we tasted them and we were very, very underwhelmed. Like these were wines that were selling for probably $90 a bottle and they were thin and tart really tough to drink. We're all like, hmm, $90 for this. I'm like, these are supposed to be super special. And, and I don't know what it was about those wines, like why they were commanding the price that they were commanding. Somebody must have been buying them somewhere, but they really didn't seem like they were really up to what, what the price tag on the bottle was. But as time has gone by and I've tasted more and more Pinot Noirs from Germany, they're getting so much better. And now there is a little bit more recognition that... Yeah, this is a grape variety that grows really well here and that people should be paying a little bit more attention
1: to it. So you mentioned, Kim, your first thought, out always said very light colored. You said very mm-hmm. thin wine. And so, I
0: don't usually use the word thin to describe, that's not a yeah. positive for well, me, it's, describing it's, wine. So that was, stuck yeah. Out for was, me. Was,
1: so explain to our listeners, when you're saying that about Pinot Noir from Germany, because of what? Because what happens there that's different than California Pinot? So
0: it's a whole lot cooler. And that is why Germany traditionally 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 has been more of a white wine producing country because you really need more heat and more sunshine to ripen those red grapes. They need longer on the vine. They need more time to develop their fruity flavors and and the color of their skins. Um, White wine can get a, a get away with being harvested a little bit earlier, but red really needs the time. So there are certain grape varieties that like cooler climates and certain grape varieties that like it a little bit warmer. So even though Pinot Noir generally is a cool climate loving grape variety, um, there are limits even to that. So, I think with climate warming up a little bit and we have warmer summers, warmer springs, warmer everything, vintages are changing. And every year we're seeing warmer and warmer temperatures. And now it has become such that it seems to be pretty optimal for producing nice, juicy, fruity, really delicious Pinot Noirs from that area of the world now.
1: And you mentioned Germany. When people think of Germany, it's usually white wines. So this article, which was in fortune.com, mentioned a few interesting things that were kind of shocking to me. The first was Riesling in Germany was made in the 1400s, but Pinot Noir was made 500 years before that.
0: And this is something that I didn't know. I that's, didn't actually yeah. know that. I knew that Riesling was actually a newer grape variety, that there have been other whites that were more traditionally grown and that over time were superseded by Riesling. But I didn't realize the history of Pinot Noir here. 500 years. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, and the then, 800s. How, how and interesting is that? then they
1: said Germany's Pinot Noir is the third largest Pinot Noir producing country. Then it's France, the U.S., and Germany's third. So...
0: That makes total sense. That is,
1: uh, you would think Germany being third—that's to me was crazy. Because we've
0: never that. really seen all that much of it. But I think a lot of a lot of places that are wine-producing areas and also wine-drinking areas, a lot of it gets consumed locally. So I can imagine that that is what happens uh, with the reds from Germany.
1: And they said only twenty-nine thousand acres of Pinot Noir that's is small. planted, which is really yeah, small. That's pretty small. And thirteen different regions produce it. So in thirteen regions, all throughout. Germany, there's 29,000 acres, which is nothing and it should be third in the world right well so many wine
0: producing countries are warmer climate and pinot just doesn't like warmer climate so you're not going to see pinot noir from southern italy you know you see a little bit from northern italy but really not a whole lot nothing from argentina we see a little bit from chile a little bit from new zealand but it hasn't really gained the market traction and i think that there's something appealing about the german ones because they are they're fruity but they're also very balanced they're this sort of elegant almost French-like, savory style that I think people, c- consumers, especially when you're having them with food, are really, really like.
1: And you're like me, but you you see something that's unique. You see a German Pinot Noir on a, on a wine list or, or a store shelf. It, it sticks out to you because like, wow, I've, the chances you've seen them before is very rare. So people listening to our show always know we go back and forth about pronunciations and I let Kim all the time say them right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it and you tell if I'm wrong. The German word for Pinot Noir is spice. Spot Yes. spot burgunder, or spot burgunder.
0: I say spot burgunder.
1: Spot burgunder. You get more of the S <laughs> the accent. So you could go into a store or, or or a restaurant list, it might be listed as that and not pinot noir. So just be aware of that. So I have to tell you, Kim, my first experience when I wanted to bring in a pinot noir on the shelf, a German were, one, a German pinot noir. I saw a label and it just had a big monk. Have you seen this label? I a have. Big gold it's monkey they the on the label.
0: Metallic monkey so on the label. First
1: off, I said, that label is cool. Not even knowing what it was. So then I buy it when I find out it's a German piano because I wanted one want it. it had a great label. And then I'm thinking to myself, I think I got ripped off because <laughs> there can't be any monkeys in German, right? Then I'm thinking back where I saw all these documentaries where when Hitler used to try to have all these different animals. He had like a farm and he was he was mating all these weird things because he wanted his own zoo. Oh my. Yeah, it was a really interesting documentary. Anyway, <laughs> I was thinking maybe it had something to do with that. And sure enough, they, Hitler's monkeys. One of the biggest monkey sanctuaries in the world is in Germany. I did not and know that. And I never that. knew
0: that. And that's why you have a monkey on your bottle I would of Spapberg that. Gunder. I still
1: never find out why this vineyard <laughs> puts it on their label. But it's a, it's a cool bottle. So what and,
0: style of wine is, is their Pinot Noir?
1: It's just, like you said, very light. It, and I always tell people when they pick it up, be aware, this is not miomi. This is not a dark, rich Pinot Noir. It's not heavy. Very, very light. Takes a while, I think, for the fruit to kind of kick in. But just and everyday sipping, you can probably give it a little chill. It's almost like a yeah. Beaujolais. I
0: like doing that with, with lighter red wines. You know, just chill it down just a little bit. Stick it in the fridge for like 10, 15 minutes. And they're very refreshing.
1: And also much less alcohol than your typical Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. I think it's 12 and a half maybe, which is very low because of the cool climate. They just right. can't produce the sugar to get the higher alcohol. That makes sense. But very interesting wines. And I'm glad we're on the same page of liking them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you and stock
1: them at legal on we, the wine list? We
0: do actually uh, the interesting? I think it's it, the timing is very interesting of this because we um, the way that we choose the wines for our wine lists and all the restaurants is we do blind tastings. So we do about a week's worth of blind tastings where we have categories, and the categories might be like Chardonnays under fifteen dollars a bottle or Cabernets from thirty to fifty dollars a bottle, and and we'll taste the categories and then we'll dis- we'll discuss what we what we liked, what we didn't like, um, and what we think would fit really well on the menu. So for the Pinot Noir category, we had. Pinot submissions from all over the place. So, you know, we had Oregon, we had Kef- Oh no, no, it was it was anywhere outside of the US and France. So we did a US Pinot Noir category, a French Pinot Noir category, and then we had sort of an other Pinot Noir category.
1: Oh, that's great. And so then, what other regions besides Germany? So
0: were New unique? Zealand, uh there were a couple from South America. We had I believe there were a couple from upstate New York too. So Wow. New York was able to be included in this category because it wasn't Oregon Pinot Noir. But they it wasn't were California. It was you didn't, all blind tasting. We from. didn't know where the things were That's from. Interesting. And the one and the two one the two that came out on top were the two German Pinot Noirs. Wow! So we will be having some German Pinot Noir on our uh, Legal seafoods wine list starting in February.
1: Do you remember if they were from the same region or for different regions? I don't remember.
0: I think they were different. I don't believe they were, they were the same.
1: same and vintage? interestingly, was they it?
0: did not say Spatburgunder on the label. Really? They did say Pinot Noir.
1: They americanized it.
0: i think so but wow. we didn't look at the label before we tasted them and really liked them but we'll, we were pretty astounded that the two top ones were both from germany
1: from a restaurant marketing point will you put spot Big on the next no, to it you're no. just going to say pinot we noir.
0: do we do our wine list by grape variety yep. so it would be in the pinot noir category anyway so i don't think we would put spot under. do you remember the if they label.
1: were screw cap or cork because mm. the ones i've seen have mostly i think screw they're cap. screw cap yeah i think they were screw cap Interesting. but
0: they were delicious
1: and here we are thinking you're doing some work That work <laughs> you're just tasting way more wines <laughs> than me now hey so that jealous. is work way more wines than me Thank you for joining us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to listen to our past episodes, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we would love any questions or comments you have by finding us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers.